If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to open it up to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, it's going to be different than the passage you see up on the screen, but that's okay. We'll get to that passage in just a moment. Uh, but we're going to begin this morning in Luke 24, um, and, and we're going to kind of breeze through the story of the resurrection. Uh, just fair warning, normally at this point we would dismiss our kiddos to go upstairs, but uh, we have made the decision this morning to keep everybody in here. But if you have a child that maybe is nursery age or you need to, to step out for a moment, please understand we get that and that you are 100% supported in that. And so if you need to slide out at any moment, uh, feel free to do that. There is a nursery upstairs that you are welcome to use, uh, but don't feel like you've got to uh, keep them wrangled either. We love the noise of children uh, in the sanctuary. We love uh, the fact that there are kids here, um, and so they are not a burden in this room. So uh, enjoy it, worship as a family, and we're going to study scripture this morning and uh, see where that takes us. Um, y'all ready for some audience participation? Y'all okay with that this morning? Everybody okay with that? Oh, oh one, sorry, one other side note before I get going too far. I always forget to say this when we have joint services, so I'm going to make sure I say it today. If y'all hear a whispering voice from the balcony, that is not someone who's being rude. That is our translator who is translating into Spanish. So if you hear somebody who is talking, don't be offended. Uh, he's doing his job. Uh, and we are grateful for somebody like Elias who is helping us out this morning. So thanks, buddy. Um, all right, crowd participation this morning. Here we go. Um, there are two groups of people in this world, and I want to know which group you fit into, okay? You can't fall into both camps. You're going to have to pick one this morning. And you may or may not start a fight with your spouse depending on how this goes, okay? So just be prepared, all right? You're either in Camp A or Camp B. Camp A is when I approach a yellow light, it means cautiously slow down and stop. Anybody in Camp A? Duncan, really? I am shocked by that state. Vicky, I anticipated that one. I knew Vicky would be a cautious. All right, so that's Camp A, cautiously approaching the intersection, slowing down and stopping. Then you're in Camp B with all the cool people, okay, who step on the gas pedal and floor through it because you don't want to get hung up at the stoplight. Who's in Camp B? That's what I thought. Okay, all right. Is Coley here this morning? He's the only cop I know that's in the room. So um, Coley's not here this morning, so we're good. You can be honest about it, all right? Cool. All right, so you're either in Camp A or you're in Camp B. You're either gonna approach cautiously or you're gonna push the gas pedal knowing that a red light is coming next and you don't wanna get stopped for it, okay? I'm definitely in Camp B. My wife is definitely in Camp A. We fight about that constantly. The other argument that we have is, when is it too late to cross the line, right? The light turns yellow, you still go through it. The light turns red while you're in the intersection. Did you run a red light or did you not? No, you didn't, all right? It was yellow when you crossed the line. That's all that matters, right? My wife would disagree wholeheartedly with me about that. Now, why am I bringing up red lights this morning? A lot of us approach our faith with a cautious, pausing mentality. 
we approach this idea of like Jesus's return and his commandment for us to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that there is a red light coming, there is a hard stop coming when this world is gonna end and all is said and done and we've lost our opportunity to do any more. We approach our faith a lot like those cautious drivers who kind of coast up to the stoplight and pause and wait and let everybody else go around us and, and we try to be just really just soft about it. But I wonder how many of us God is calling this morning in light of the resurrection today, I wonder how many of us are gonna walk out of this room changing our mentality from a yellow light pause and caution mentality to a let's slam on the gas pedal. We've got things to do. God has called us to do something big and we can't approach that with caution and fear. We have to approach it with boldness and with joy and with excitement and that's where I wanna get us this morning in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 24. We're gonna read a little passage of scripture and we're gonna talk through it this morning as we look at the resurrection of Jesus. Begin with me in verse one of Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, being some of the women, went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away. Is there any statement in scripture that is more exciting than that? They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day he would rise. And they remembered Jesus' words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and, and to all of the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. Is there any more sad statement in Scripture than that? They did not believe the statement. Verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths uh, by themselves and he went home marveling at what had just happened. Skip with me to verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and, and they were frightened and thought they saw a spirit. <laughs> And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law and in Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to him, thus it is written that the Christ should, su should suffer, excuse me, and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Let's pray together over the reading of God's word. God, I can only imagine what it must have been like that morning to approach the tomb and to find the stone rolled away and the, the linen cloths laying there as if they were still covering a body, but there was no body to be found. I can only imagine the joy and the excitement, the, the questions and the fear, God, the, the, the amazing amount of emotions that just poured through these people, God, as they tried to discern what was happening. But Father, we know that you had told them from day one. You had told them what to expect, God. You had told them that you would be beaten, that you would be killed but that you would rise again on the third day. And God, we are grateful for a promise kept. We are grateful for the fact that that tomb really was empty because without that, Father, our faith is insignificant. Without that, we just serve a dead God. But this morning, we serve a God who is risen. This morning, Father, we serve a God who is alive and breathing and is well, a God who moves and stirs in our hearts, God, a God who loves us unconditionally, who pushes past our sin and our shame, who reaches to the innermost parts of us, God, and loves us deeply. And we praise you because you are that kind of God. This morning, may you be honored and glorified through the reading of your word and the study of its pages. God, may you enlighten us the way you did these disciples. May you open our minds and our hearts to see the truths that are on these pages, that we would become better and stronger followers of who you are. It's in your name that we pray, amen. I wanna set the stage, although the stage probably doesn't need to be set. We all walked into church this morning knowing that it's Easter Sunday and knowing we were gonna talk about an empty tomb. But I wanna set the stage for what has happened prior to these days. Last week, we looked at Palm Sunday and we looked at this idea of Jesus entering into Jerusalem and he declared some things to his disciples about what the kingdom of God needed to look like, that he came to serve and not be served. And in between last week and this week in the life of Jesus, he proclaimed that visually by going to a cross. He, he went into Jerusalem, he debated with the Pharisees, he cleansed the temple, he did uh, signs and miracles inside the walls of Jerusalem throughout that holy week, all leading up to the day where he was arrested, placed on trial, and hung on a cross to die. And for the disciples who had followed him for three years, for the disciples who had trusted this man, who had laid their lives down for him, they had literally left their careers and their families and all of their stuff behind, and they had followed this man named Jesus for three years. For the disciples who were walking this path, they saw their Messiah, they saw their Savior, their teacher hanging on this cross, and they thought for sure, this is it. 
it's done. This movement that we were so excited about, this guy that we loved and passionately pursued and followed, we watched him bleed and die. It's over. What now? Saturday arose, which was a day of Sabbath, and the disciples had already, if we were to back up in Scripture, they had already prepared Jesus' body on Friday during the day of preparation. They had placed him in this tomb. Saturday comes, and no one comes to see Jesus because it's a Sabbath day, a holy day for the Jewish people, and so they wait all through Saturday, and then Sunday morning comes. And on Sunday morning, these disciples and these ladies, they prepare some spices, and they come to the tomb. And what they find there is an incredible picture of who Jesus really is. The power of God on display. They walk up to this tomb that should have been covered, that should have been sealed, that should have contained the body of Jesus. But as they approach, something is different. Something is not right. Something is powerful and they know it. They, they approach with caution and they see that this stone has been rolled away and they, they peer inside. And where Jesus' body is supposed to be, there is nothing but linen cloths. And while they're still questioning what's happening, all of a sudden, two men in dazzling clothes. I love that description. Two men who are just shiny, just show up. I think about my kids are big Disney fans. Anybody else's kids Disney fans? Yeah, okay, sweet. Wade, I got you, bro. All right, so uh, every time I think about the dazzling clothes, I think about the, uh, the movie Moana, where he go she goes and sees the crab, and the crab sings, I'm shiny. All right, for the non-parents in the room, I'm sorry, that will make no sense to you. For everybody else in the room, it's stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Good luck. They see these men with dazzling clothes. And these men begin to declare something to these ladies who have come to add spices and take care of the body of Jesus. He asks a question, he says, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? I wanna ask us a question this morning. We've been walking through a series, if you're in the room kind of new this morning and uh, don't know, we've been walking through a four-week series on vision and values of who we want to be as a church. We've been setting the target of who we desire to be, and, and we've walked through several different pieces. And so on the slides, hopefully this morning, I think they're still up there, right, Michael? Um, there is going to be uh, this list of core values that I want you to see. We've been kind of teaching through these core values, loving authentically and living relationally and teaching biblically. And last week, we left off on this idea of serving joyfully. And this week, what I want to emphasize is the last three, worshiping truthfully, following boldly, and being led spiritually. This is who we want to be as a church, the, the target that we want to hit. And I, I want to use this story of the resurrection to help us focus on these last three. And I, I want to zoom us in a little bit uh, onto who it is that God is calling the church at West Gant to be. And if you're a visitor in the room this morning, I pray that you'll hear what's being said from the stage and you'll go, man, that's a church that I want to be a part of. Man, that's a place that I want to plug in. If you're a person who's been here for years uh, and years, I hope that you hear these words and go, man, I'm excited because there's life in our church, and man, we've got a target that we're aiming for, and we are headed in the right direction, and, and maybe if you're new in the room, but you've, you've been here long enough, man, I hope that you'll see these words, and you'll go, man, I'm so excited to find my family and to find a place where I can be. 
I want to look at, firstly, worship truthfully. These ladies approach the tomb that day. What were they prepared to find? They were prepared to find a dead body. They were prepared to find Jesus covered in white clothes, locked behind a heavy stone inside of a tomb, still dead, still not breathing, still just dormant inside of this tomb. But there was a problem with this. There was a problem with this expectation because what was wrong with this expectation was that Jesus had already declared to them exactly what was truth. He had already told them. In fact, let me just read some of these words so you don't have to flip to these with me. Just listen. This is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Early in Jesus' ministry with his disciples, he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He'd already declared it to them. We could keep going just one chapter later. He says it again. It says, and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And his disciples were greatly distressed about this. And yet they were still unaware of the fact that Jesus was really gonna do it. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 through 19 says this, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, this was a passage we read last week, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised again on the third day. Jesus says it over and over and over again to his disciples, not vague communication. This was not, oh, let me give you some analogy that's hard to piece together or some foggy story. Jesus gave detail. Jesus gave so much detail that his disciples were distressed over it. And even just a week prior on Palm Sunday, as Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, he reminds them, I used to be a teacher. I taught middle school and high school math for three years. And you want to know the most frustrating thing about being a teacher? Sorry, Tyler and Megan. One of the most frustrating things about being a teacher is that you can repeat yourself a thousand times, walk into a test day and hand the test to the students, and they'll go, you never taught us this. <laughs> yes, I did. About 15 times. You just weren't paying attention. Jesus repeats over and over again to his disciples. Guys, I am going to a cross. I'm gonna be handed over. I'm gonna be beaten. I'm gonna be mocked. I'm gonna be crucified. But on the third day, there is hope I will rise again. He says it seven days before it happens. And yet here we are one week later and the ladies are walking up to the tomb and they have spices prepared to walk in and find a dead body. That's what they're expecting. They weren't worshiping in truth. They were worshiping in what they felt. <laughs> they were worshiping in what they thought. They were worshiping in what they had experienced rather than looking to the words of Jesus and living into the truth of who he was calling them to be. He had already said, I'm gonna rise again, live in expectation of that, and yet these ladies walked to the tomb prepared to worship a dead body. They were ready to serve. They showed up with the spices. They were prepared for what they thought was needed, but they had forgotten Jesus' words. How often do we come prepared 
to worship a dead man instead of a living God? How often do we show up to church on a Sunday and go, God, here we go again. Another Sunday. How often do we wake up on Sunday mornings and we never even make it to church because we woke up and we went, ah, not today. How often do we go throughout our week and we know that God is calling us to do something or to step out in boldness and we go, ah, yeah. I think I'll just read my Bible and pray a little bit instead of speaking in boldness or walking in faith into what God's really called me to do. See, we come prepared to worship a dead God. Because when we worship a dead God, none of that stuff really matters. It's just routine. It's just ritual. It's just religion. But that's not who Jesus called us to be. In fact, we could back up in the story of Jesus uh, to the story where he meets the woman at the well. And he sits down with this woman. We actually preached this passage not too long ago. But he sits down with this woman. He meets her at the well and he's speaking with her and he, he declares some truth into her life. And, and she has a little debate with him a little bit about, hey, y'all say, the Jews say that, that we should worship at the temple, but, but my fathers say that we should wor worship on the mountain. Like, hey, where are we supposed to be? And what's Jesus' response? There's coming a day where we will neither worship in a temple or a mountain, but God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. God desires for us to worship him not just out of religion, not just out of ritual of showing up to a temple or a mountainside, but he desires us to worship him truthfully. And the only way that we worship truthfully is to know the truth. These ladies had heard Jesus' own words over weeks and months and years, and yet in seven days' time, they had forgotten what Jesus had said. They needed to be reminded. They needed to be reminded of God's truth in their life. And so these angels show up. These men in dazzling clothes shine up, show up, and they say, hey, ladies, don't you remember? Jesus told you he wouldn't be here. Why do you look for the living among the dead? This morning, why do you walk in your walk with Jesus the way that you do? Are you really serving a living God or are you just serving a dead religion? There's a big difference. These women, they get a little excited. <laughs> They're reminded of the words of Jesus, the truth that he had shared with them. And so they run back to the disciples, the apostles. And they say to them, hey guys, something incredible has happened and I want you to look with me at verse 10 of chapter 24. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Here comes the yellow light. But these words seem to them an idle tale. And they didn't believe him. What? <laughs> you have devoted your lives to this man for three years. You left everything for him. He told you repeatedly what to expect. And yet here in this moment, you're given the most magnificent news you could ever receive. And you go, eh, y'all are crazy. A lot of people will walk through this world seeking hope. 
And when hope is presented to them, they'll go, eh, that sounds crazy. These disciples who had walked with Jesus day in and day out, they looked at Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and they look at these ladies and they go, no way, man. I think we'll just hang right here. You know what they were doing? They were approaching their faith like a yellow light with caution and fear. They were pumping the brakes. They had followed Jesus boldly for three years, and now, at the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry, they go, nah, let's pump the brakes. All except for one guy, my favorite guy in all of Scripture, Peter. Peter is so cool to me because Peter embodies our next core value. Peter was the guy who was going to follow boldly no matter what the cost. Peter was the guy who was going to say, hey, listen, if Jesus said it, I believe it. Jesus, uh, excuse me, Peter was the guy who when Jesus was walking on the water, Peter looked out and saw him and said, hey, if you'll just call my name, I'll hop this banister and I'll meet you in the water. And Jesus says, all right, let's see it. And Peter hops the banister and begins to walk towards Jesus. Peter is the guy who, when Jesus was arrested in the garden, Peter's the guy who whips the sword out and cuts the ear off of the soldier, and Jesus has to heal the ear. Peter is the guy who sat around the fire with Jesus and the rest of the disciples, and Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am, and who do you say that I am? And Peter responded with boldness, and he said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. It was Peter who Jesus said, you're my rock on whom I'm going to build my church. It was Peter who did all of these amazing things. And Peter in this moment, after having denied Jesus three times at the crucifixion, hears that there's potential of hope Here's that maybe the things that Jesus taught were actually coming true. And while the other disciples sat idly and went, ah, that sounds pretty crazy, Peter jumps up with boldness and he sprints to the tomb. He hits the gas pedal. He slams it all the way through that red light and says, man, forget this. Y'all can sit down if you want to. I got things to do. I wonder if that's us. I wonder if we have the guts that when everybody else is sitting in a pew somewhere, idly listening to the stories and going, uh, yeah, that's, that, was, that was great, thank you. Or, or when everybody else is, 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 is watching their faith just fade away, they, they, they leave the, the foundations of the faith, they quit reading scripture, they quit praying, they quit uh, being an evangelist, they quit telling people about Jesus. When everybody else is fading away, are we the people who fade with them? Or are we gonna be a church that says, hey man, we're gonna live boldly into who God is calling us to be. And when there are signs of life, when there are signs of the truth of God around us, man, we hit the gas pedal and we go. The only way that we become a church that does that is that we are filled with people who do that. So when we slam on the gas pedal today, when we hear about the life of Jesus, when we approach this day of Easter, looking at this cross and going, man, what a beautiful thing, but three days have gone by and Jesus is risen and we see that hope, will we be people who go, man, what an exciting time. Jesus is alive, he is risen, and it's not just about Easter Sunday, it's about every day of my life. Will I hit the gas pedal and blast through my faith? Will I take it to the people who need it? Are we gonna be a people who follow boldly?
Peter rose and ran. I wonder if we'll be that same kind of people. But it wasn't just that. We could skip forward a little bit to this last passage that we read. Jesus actually shows up. There's a story in between that we skipped over. I'll, I'll let you read that on your own time. But Jesus appears to two, uh, two of his disciples on a road, and uh, they don't recognize him, and uh, they don't recognize him until he sits down to break bread with them. And as he breaks bread, uh, their minds are open, their eyes are open to who he is. They recognize him. And just as they begin to declare who he is, he vanishes. And then the next part of the story picks up where we picked up. Jesus shows up in a room with his disciples. And he says to them, here I am, alive and well. See the holes in my wrists and my feet. Touch me. See that I'm real. Let me prove it to you that I'm, I'm a man. I'm not a spirit. Hey, I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> y'all ever felt that way? <laughs> Let me prove to you I'm a man. I'm hungry, y'all. <laughs> it's 12 o'clock. Let's go. It's not really 12 o'clock for those who just looked at your watches, okay? Jesus says, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. So they give him a fish. Not exactly the greatest meal, in my opinion. But he takes this fish and he eats it. And then he says to them, pick up with me in verse 44. Let's read it again. He said to them, listen, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, hey, didn't you listen? Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it was written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. There it is again. Hey, let me remind you what I already told you. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city. Listen to this phrase. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You know what Jesus was speaking to his disciples in that moment? He said, listen, man, I've already declared all these things to you. You've already seen all this stuff happen. It's been an incredible journey with you. And I, you watched me be crucified. And now you see me risen from the dead. And let me prove to you who I am. And now here's the next step in this thing. I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to hang out in the city and I want you to stay there until my spirit clothes you. I think about the story of Adam and Eve in this. I think about the moment when Adam and Eve took of that fruit and they ate and they brought sin into this world and they fell. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve recognized as soon as they ate of that fruit? They were what? Naked. Their sin and their shame was glaring to everyone around them. They wanted to hide from God, and so they go deep into the garden, and they, they craft for themselves some clothes out of fig leaves, and they, they cover themselves up, and in the cool of the evening, God comes, as he always did, looking for them, and, and he cries out, hey, where are you? And they respond, here, here we are, God, we're right here, and uh, we, we hid because we were naked. And wait a minute, who, who told you you were naked? And from that moment forward in the story of the Bible and in the story of the history of the world, we have constantly clothed ourselves, covering up sin and shame, metaphorically speaking. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I, I wanna fix what was broken in the garden. 
I want you to go to the city of Jerusalem and I want you to wait there. And as you wait there, we're gonna clothe you in something different. But we're gonna change what you've done for years and years. We're gonna go from fig leaves and loincloths to, to being clothed in the spirit of God. Sin and shame are completely covered at this point. Anything you've done wrong, any mess up that you've had, any sin you've carried with you is now gonna be covered not with physical clothing, but with the spirit of God who will cover you from your sin and your shame. It is all left on this cross. The spirit follows you and he clothes you. You are holy and righteous again. But be a people who follow that spirit wherever he goes. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Do you know what would happen as those disciples went to Jerusalem and waited? They gathered together in an upper room and they began to pray. And as they began to pray, a flame came and it rested on each of their heads and they were clothed in the Spirit of God. They went out of that room proclaiming the good news of Jesus to anyone and anyone who would listen. And thousands of people were saved that day, the day of Pentecost. See, when we allow ourselves to be led spiritually, when we become a church who doesn't just worship truthfully or follow boldly, but we wait on God and we say, God, where are you leading? And we wanna follow wherever you take us. When we become that kind of church, man, God's spirit clothes us and we become righteous before God and we begin to do some incredible things. And that's my heart's beat, my, my desire for every one of us is that we would be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that we would walk out of these doors proclaiming who Jesus is so that our community is transformed by the goodness of God. That's who we desire to be. That's the target. That's who, if you're gonna be a part of the church at West Gant, that's who I'm gonna push us to be. If you're gonna join this body, this family of believers, that's who we are. We pursue others with the gospel. I want you to see the Great Commission. Flip with me now to the passage that was at the top of the screen this morning, Matthew chapter 28. What does it look like to live our lives in light of the resurrection of Jesus? Here's what it looks like. Jesus has appeared to these disciples and he gives a clear commandment to them. We read it already and Luke just phrased a little differently. He said, hey, you need to go declare uh, the forgiveness of sins to people around us uh, through the blood of Jesus. But now I want you to see it in Matthew chapter 28, uh, beginning in verse uh, 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some still doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Don't sit in a pew. Don't gather together in holy huddles. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the very end of the age. What was he saying? He was saying, listen, I have commissioned you. I have sent you to go. How do we live life in light of the resurrection? We go. We go and we tell others. 
we go and we share the goodness of God because they need to hear it. And maybe you're sitting in this room this morning and maybe you need to hear about the goodness of God. So let me just break that down for you real quick. You are a sinful person. You are broken and there is something inside of us that declares that over and over again. We walk through life and we, we watch things happen and we go, man, this is just so broken and messed up. We walk around in despair and misery because our sin weighs heavily on us. It has since the day Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. We have a problem called sin in us, a sinful nature that drives bad choices that break God's heart. We've all made them, every single one of us. But the good news this morning is that Jesus came to pin all that to a cross. Jesus, Philippians tells us that he gave up his throne in heaven in order that he might come submissive to a cross, that he would be obedient to death even death on a cross, for who? For me and for you, taking the sin and the shame that we bear and nailing it to a cross that we could walk free. The payment for that happened on the cross. The receipt was given three days later when he emptied the tomb. The evidence that God really did what he said he was gonna do was that he walked out of a tomb three days later and presented his body whole again to his disciples and declared, I have risen, I am exactly who I said I am. And 2,000 years later, we sit in this room and I declare that same truth to you. There is hope for you. There is fulfillment for you. There is restoration for you at the foot of the cross and at the entrance of an empty tomb. There is hope for your life. You can find wholeness again. You can find uh, fulfillment and true purpose in life. And most importantly, you can find salvation for all eternity at the foot of the cross. So maybe you've been walking through life following a dead, dead God, a dead religion. And maybe this morning you need to come forward at the end of the, our time this morning. Maybe you need to come to this altar. Maybe you need to just come bow before this cross and say to Jesus, hey, I'm done following a dead religion. I need the life of God. I need the living God to clothe me in his spirit because I wanna live for him from here on out. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Or maybe you're a believer in the room and you've already done that and maybe you've just been coasting. You've been, you've been kind of cautious and fearful approaching the red light. And maybe this morning God's laid it on your heart. Hey, I don't wanna be that kind of person anymore. I wanna slam on the gas pedal and I wanna be sent to go do what God has called me to do. I wanna share the good news of Jesus with anyone who will listen. Maybe you need to come this morning and pray for a name that God has laid on your heart of someone who needs to know Jesus and you've been delaying. Maybe you need to come and ask for God's forgiveness for delaying sharing the truth of God and not living boldly into who God's called you to be. Man, come, pray. Maybe you need to sit right where you're at. There's nothing special about this altar. Maybe you need to sit right where you're at. Maybe you need to pray there. Maybe you need to gather together as a family and pray and ask God, hey, not only how are we doing that as a church, but how are we doing that as a family? Living into who God's called us to be. There is hope. At the foot of the cross, there is joy and a future at the empty tomb. But we gotta be willing to worship truthfully and quit showing up for a dead religion. We gotta be willing to follow boldly. We gotta be a Peter. We gotta jump up and we gotta run. We gotta be led spiritually and clothed in his righteousness, not our own. And when we do that, we will be a church that changes the world. Will you come? Will you go on that journey with us? Will you take some bold steps of faith and walk through this? 
Slam on the gas pedal, let's go. Whatever you need to do this morning, I wanna give you an opportunity to make that happen. Our praise team's gonna come back up. They're gonna lead us in another song. I don't want you to get distracted by the song, though. If you wanna sing it, great. Sing it with all your heart. Worship God where you are, and that's gonna be wonderful. But maybe you just need to do some real work with God this morning. Maybe you need to come down here and you need to pray, or maybe you need to sit where you are and handle business there. Whatever you need to do, I'm gonna open up this altar for you to handle business with God. Maybe you need to come bow at the foot of the cross. Maybe you just need to pray together with your family. Now's the time to make that happen.